You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Welcome back to the Batuta Advocate podcast. My name is Wendell Hussey. I'm alongside Errol Parker here in the Desert Rock FM studios, coming right out of the Channel Country, the heart of the Channel Country. Errol Parker, how are you? I'm not bad, mate. It's uh, it's good to get a return to uh, a bit of the dry weather that this region is famous for. Mm. I mean, in the past few weeks, we've had flooding rains. We've had every grey-haired person in their Land Cruiser Prado and caravan coming through mm. here on the way to the Big Red Bash. It's been a busy few months here in the Simpson Desert. It has. I'm, I'm looking forward to the races at the end of next month, and then when things start to get a bit quieter over summer, I think, uh, look, I think we'll be, we'll be glad. Yeah, I think the crowds so too. Are gone. I think so too. And the weather there you mentioned, a little bit of an extreme version of Melbourne weather, I'd say, which kind of leads us into today's guest. We're talking to someone from our favourite city in Australia that plays our favourite game, which is Victorian leg tennis. We're talking to an icon from the Western Bulldogs, 12 straight years, a cult hero, maybe just a hero, but he was much loved by all the Bulldogs fans down there. Mitch Wallace, Ooh. how are you going? Can you keep going? It's you know my ego. More adulation. Yeah, look, great. we can keep going. We can lay it all on you for <laughs> for hours and hours, Mitch. A storied career. Uh, thank you, guys. I appreciate you getting me on here. Um, it's great to hear you and listen to your podcast over what, the last five years, which has been great. So eager to talk to you guys and and, and talk a bit of crap. Yeah, lovely. Um, I'm sure we'll get through to you know the beginnings, the career, the premiership, all that sort of stuff. But I just wanted to check in. You're still playing footy post Western Bulldogs, I believe, in the VFA, VF, VAFA, which is is that the Victorian Amateur Football Association? Yes, yeah, so the VAFA uh, yeah. for sure. Well, my brother's played a couple of seasons there, but he came back. He uh, was living in Queensland last year for the year um, and flew back down and. Mate, he's probably the, the main driver of me continuing to, to play. Um, I'm a bit old and it's nearly past me, but I've, I've absolutely loved playing with yeah. him um, and enjoying, you know, mum and dad watching us together for the first time ever. Yeah, that's nice. And I imagine it is very nice to play with your brother. How do the blokes you come up against feel about it? I know it's you always hear these stories about guys dropping back from first grade and playing a bunch of, you know, club footy players on the weekend some love the challenge some love don't being embarrassed by a guy who's been <laughs> training professionally for 12 to 13 14 years you've been bodying blokes out there yeah uh, it's, it's an interesting um because it's a younger players league um you know there's a lot of sort of low mid to low 20s which you know i, I fit that age bracket as well but I, i've really enjoyed the actual style of footy because it is a bit cleaner um you know there's those horror stories of you hear um you know xafl players playing in country leagues where there's a you know Thugs around and they get hit behind play. There's none of that, which is, you know, makes you sleep a little bit at night. But I, I must admit, um, at the start of every game, it's very interesting to see who lines up on you, you know, because you can suss them out very quickly. You shake the hands, you ask them a couple of questions. If they do start hitting you, you try and soften them up to see whether they're a fraud or not um, very quickly. Um, so by the end of the quarter, you know whether they're going to continue to do that all day or you can, you can work on their softer side. So it's a little bit easier footy. Has that always been a part of AFL? I mean, like uh, coming from Western Queensland myself, I'm not that well versed in the uh, in the nuances of glorified kickbacks. But um, do you just get hit off the ball all the time? Yeah, oh, you do. Like, there's different different levels. Um, I think the the best defenders are the ones that can do it for a really sustained period of time because um, it is tiring and you have to really put that mask on for the the full two hours of, of playing time. 
Um, and only the best can do that. Like there is different points within games where all players can do that, but the best of the best are the ones that are so diligent and continue to hit, continue to put pressure on the whole game. And that sort of sets the part that, you know, the elite from the average player. Mm. Speaking of elite, are you rocking up to training and game days in dogs kit? Have you got like the dogs training jumper on or the trackies just to let them know? Uh, look, did round one, didn't go down too well. So uh, <laughs> I did it again. No, I've got a standard of uniform. I always actually wear jeans and a, and a collar uh, to my to my games. Uh, again, casual. all the boys rock up in But smart casual is the dress code for, for mine, which I've, I've held myself account. Lovely. Last question about amateur footy. I notice the hair. I know a lot of people, I myself recognise you from those days with the glorious flowing locks, the Matt King style, Valderrama. Going back to St. Kevin's and playing for them, for their old boys team, did they make you cut the hair? Was that part of the parcel? You've got to have a really, you know, short trim haircut if you want to play for the team. It wasn't, but I, upon reflection, I wish I had kept the locks. Um, this is more for the work or well, the real work outside of footy now that I have to look a little bit prim and proper. But I love the locks. I love the, the afro because my hair did grow up, not down. I repped that for a long time when I was playing footy. And I think one of the reasons I did that is mum said that I'm so recognisable uh, for her her point of view because she only watches me when she watches. Um, and the, the flowing blonde locks were the reason that, you know, she could see me. One of the best chops getting around in AFL. Do you reckon, is there anyone in particular that's taken over that mantle? Like Bailey Smith, obviously he's known for that flowing mullet. Is there anyone else you reckon's up there? I think Bailey's a unique character because he's got, you know, he's a rooster. He's got the looks, the body and the hair. People who don't have any of them but then try to do the hair, they're working their way backwards. But I think in terms of mullets, him and another ex-teammate of mine, Aaron Norton, have solid mullets they're they're really thin on the sides and they're long and flowing and i think that's just the the style um you know the short back and sides is now outdated and the mullets the the way to go if you want to get attention and you want to get a name for yourself i think that's something that kids can really invest in from a young age yeah well it's almost like hair is something that you really need in that game because i remember when we had a Barry Hall in here you know the top of his head looked like a hail damaged corolla you know it was (laughs) It looked like chunks out everywhere. Every boot from sort of out at Bunbury to Bondi had been on that head. It looked like uh, he was amazing. I actually was lucky enough to play a season with him because he obviously played, yeah. finished up at the Dogs. So, geez, he was a he's a man mountain. Um, one of the scariest individuals I've ever come across. But I was just so glad that he was on my team and not the other opposition. <laughs> Absolutely fair enough. Outside of um, playing a bit of footy for St Kevin's, how's post football life treating you? Oh, I'm loving it. Um, I probably didn't anticipate, you know, having the freedom in my head, you know, the amount of capacity that football takes up from stresses to, to pressures to training, the things that you do on a weekly basis, removing all that um, and being able to, you know, approach the, the real world with my family, you know, putting them, the, you know, the front of, of everything I do. has just given me so much passion to, to, you know, to explore business ventures, but also spend time with them and enjoy seeing their growth and their, um, you know, I've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old and they're growing up so fast. So I'm really loving the, the extra capacity in my head to, to, devote time, to devote time to them, but also um, some of my business exploits that I was curating during footy, but obviously only minimal um, with the, you know, the amount of times that you have to devote to, to playing footy. Must be nice as well not to have to think about any more pre-seasons coming up as well, I imagine. Oh, yeah. And that's, you know, it's funny because in, in my early years, I loved training so much. Um, the preseason, again, was really exciting. 
Um, but by the end of it, it, you know, they become so monotonous and the days are so long and it's so arduous and you go on camps and you're, you're uncomfortable and rah, 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 and you're trying to fight for your spot that doesn't really mean anything. So there's so many different layers to pre-seasons. But to just forget about all that, um, look forward to summer, treating myself and, and going out and, and not worrying about coming home in shape uh, is something that's really exciting. <laughs> Fair enough. Have you? Um, are you one of those guys that's looking to now triathlons or something like that, just as a bit of fun, or are you shying away from the hardcore cardio for a little while? Oh, give me twelve months um, and ask me that question again. I promised myself that I wouldn't, but uh, I think you know I love going to Noosa, Queensland. You know, my family have a, um, a holiday house there, so I do out there a bit and triathlon. Triathlons. Uh, a royalty up there. So I might, may compete in one, but I think it's only to, to finish it, cross the line, and then go to the pub and, and feel like you've earned your beers for one. And then leave your number on there for a week to 10 days or something like that. Yeah, make sure you get a tattoo of what number you were and how long you took and all that stuff and post about it and, and pump yourself up. You know, it's, it's, all, it's all part of it. I want to take it back to the beginning, Mitch. Mentioned that story career at the top of the show there. You were a pretty hotshot young footballer, I believe, making all the rep teams, all that sort of stuff, and then progressed through, I think, number 20 or 22 or something like that in the draft. It looks like from the outside that it all went to plan. You're just a really talented guy who worked hard and made it through into the AFL. Going through those teenage years and the late teen years, did it feel like that at the time? Did it feel like it was a progression? Or was it one of those ones that it was still just a dream one day to be able to pull on an AFL jersey? I think start by saying it was the dream. I was very lucky that I had Tom Libertore, um, you know, my best mate for a number of years, um, to experience that uh, with. And you know, we were a part of rep teams. I know it's you know, junior footy and, and rep teams take it quite seriously. So when you're in the system, um, you know, you have a clear objection, uh, objection, a clear objective of where you want to get to. Um, so when you do play, play in state representative sides and make all Australians. You feel like you're on that trajectory to play. But I think we were quite lucky that um, we got to go to the Bulldogs training under you know under a father-son sort of rule, if you, if you call it. So as a 14, 15-year-old, we would do water boys. Um, we were lucky enough to, to join in some pre-season training at, at different points. But then part of a program, we were amongst AFL and amongst the elite from a very sort of early age, you know, being 15, 16, 17. Um, and then, you know, to be drafted, I think we were told that they were going to take us about mid-year in 2010, which was, you know, in, in terms of doing your schooling um, and, and the pressures that come with that was just such a relief and such a something that we really took in our stride as, as being an advantage because we could focus on our studies and just enjoy playing footy without the stresses. So um, in terms of whether it was realistic or not, I think it was all along. But it didn't mean that, you know, every day I didn't work my ass off to try and put my hand up um, and do the right things to, to be able to, you know, get a, a role on a list. But also having the platform to launch from, from the dogs through the father and son rule uh, definitely provided an extra opportunity that I think, you know, was really valuable for Tom and I. When you got into uh, the AFL, like you sort of reached the highest point. Did it feel like you were at the absolute most elite level of your sport? It's one of our only really sort of national games that doesn't have like a full-time international team. What was it like to finally to crack the AFL and to feel the validation that you were of that level? Yeah, it's an interesting word, validation, because it's something that you get when you're 18, when you get drafted. But 
as soon as you get drafted, you get a number. When you walk in the doors of a club, you lose that validation of your number so quickly and you're just one of another 40 uh, on the list. And then as you progress through your career, um, I'm sure, you know, I'm a very competitive person and, you know, you're not really a com- competitor if you're not on an AFL list. So if you are on an AFL list, you, you have to be a competitor and you're always searching to be the best, be the best player, be in the best team. Um, and unfortunately, you know, we... We made a grand final in 2016 and I wasn't part of that. So up until that point, I was always searching to be better uh, and the validation is probably coming with awards, grand finals, um, and then you, you can sit back and say, wow, you know, I've made it, I've reached the pinnacle of the sport. But because I missed out on that through a, a serious injury, that year really brought me some perspective on what's on really important in life um, and that being obviously my family, my health and fitness, um, and then just happiness. So post that experience, I think it was more about enjoying and creating memories within the football environment rather than trying to be validated by getting the best and fairest or winning a grand final. It was a really important coping mechanism for mine to stay and have longevity within the AFL system, but also a different approach to to why I see, um, you know, having a successful game or having a successful season because I couldn't, you know, be validated by searching for a grand final, which is so hard to achieve. And then, you know, when you, you do get there and you miss out, well, then where do you where do you sit? So, yeah, it was a great learning sort of year as much as it was devastating to miss out on the um, on the grand final, on the win. It um, did provide a lot of context for what's, you know, most important in my life. How hard was that process, those few months there, where obviously you're cheering on your teammates and you are a part of that team and you're a part of that success and you're a part of that grand final winning culture and club and team and everything like that. But sitting there on the sideline, not being able to get in and get out there with those guys, how hard was that? Yeah, a real paradox because I, you know, I love the team. I played all 18 games up until my injury, um, you know, playing quite well, being a part of it. And then you get to a point where, you know, there's one day there's 22 players and a coach that, that get awarded the medal on, on grand final day and you, you feel so far from being a part of it. You know, it's a real strange feeling. And, again, I, I've, I've been quite open that I was really emotional about missing out. Um, you know, I haven't cried too often in my life, but I did cry a fair bit around that time, having, you know, spent 26 years wanting to achieve something and then missed out through an injury. is uh, you know, It's quite hard to, to swallow and digest and think about, but... I think as I touched on before, through that whole process of talking to people, you know, having a clear objective to wanting to be able to play again, because that was probably at the forefront of my mind um, with, with how serious the injury was, I gained a lot of perspective on, on what's important in my life. And, and playing footy was one of them, but definitely not the priority, which helped me overcome, you know, that, that sadness of not playing, but also just gave me a little bit more balanced view on life and, and what to expect and, and how to appreciate and enjoy, you know, the, the small things in life. Yeah, fair enough. And you spoke about their finding that kind of process post that grand final win. How did that set you in stead for what was to come over the last little while in terms of hanging up the boots there at the Western Bulldogs? Yeah, um, I think you, no one can ever prepare you for um, your last game or your last season. I think you have to go through that and ride the emotions. But thing that I was very lucky with, um, you know, you talk about it, having a 12-year career. I, um, I studied. Uh, my, my parents you know, provided an environment which they made sure that I had something else to do uh, alongside playing footy. So I had things to look forward to when I, I did finish. But you, um, you, you try and hold on to, to playing and the identity of being a footballer for so long 
Um, and then when it's ripped from you, you know, identity that you've tried to protect and cultivate for so many years, it does take a, a fair bit of emotional energy to, to transition into this new being that you want to be. So, you know, I love my time at the club, but what I tried to do is really, you know, cut the cord and let go of, of that old identity um, at the club and then try and embrace the new one that I'm trying to form, um, you know, with, within the, the working realms that I am and, and within my family space. So, um, look, I'm still battling with it. I, I, I can't say that I've got it 100% correct, but I do look um, and, and tell people that I used to play footy that I'm not a football player anymore. Yeah, fair enough. And are you able to watch games or are you, you still kind of feeling like you want to watch the, the dogs every week and feeling like you want to support the group or have you, as part of that process, taking a step back and just getting a bit of fresh air? Uh, look, there's, again, there's probably two points to that, that answer. Um, I love watching them because I have so many great relationships with players and I care about how they're performing and, again, a lot of – a lot of players call me for a little bit of advice here and there, um, you know, just to maybe go through some of the things that they've discussed with coaches and other players. Um, and I really want to be that sounding board. So the only way you can do that is if you watch them um, and, and see it unfold yourself. And then this other aspect of me that, you know, on a Saturday night uh, after a Vaffa game with some Kevins, if they're going out for a, for a beer or some dinner, I, you know, I want to be able to do that and not have any restraints on, on needing to watch the, the dogs play. You know, in the past, as a player, you watch every minute, you, you listen to every word that the coaches say, which, again, which is, again, a, a bit of an intense pot, but trying to let that go and maybe catching the replay or the highlights on games that you do miss and that's sufficing for, for you know, your, your dog's outlet. That's probably what I'm, I'm chasing a little bit more and I've only been to, to one game this year and that's probably to your point about trying to let go is is not going and it being okay to watch it in my own environment, to watch it at a pub with mates, um, to watch it with the family, uh, and feel like I'm, I'm watching and supporting, but, but I don't have to go. Yeah, fair enough. It must be nice to have it on in the corner of the pub after a game. As you said, you know, you finish playing on a Saturday, rolled into the pub for boat races. You guys do boat races down there? Boat races, yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> Look, you know, I just thought I'd check. It's, it's fairly yeah. universal on the eastern seaboard. No, but I suppose down in Melbourne they do them with pints, don't they? So oh, surely it's half Take pints. half an hour. Uh, (laughs) yeah but yeah it must be nice to have it on in the background then touching on the footy it's a very hotly contested race this year by the looks of things the table looks jammed up we're heading into road safety round um that's something which you found yourself as an ambassador for could you please tell us how that came about yeah, so again, it was born about probably from a, a very unfortunate, horrific circumstance last year. My mother-in-law was struck by a car and was killed, a, a tragedy that obviously to this day still affects our um, family profoundly and our, our sort of greater community because it was out of the blue and it was an absolute tragedy. So, you know, obviously having a keen um, interest in football um, still uh, and then the, the connection with obviously having been touched by the road toll. Um, you know, I, we, we sought our relationship with um, the TAC um, and AFL Victoria, the road safety round, which is coming up, um, to be an ambassador and, and to prom- promote awareness for this round but for, for everyone going forward about the importance of road safety and, and how horrific, you know, if, if things don't go your way and there are accidents that it affects you and, and those around you. I'm a massive advocate for road safety, obviously, but to, to more importantly, for the awareness piece of, of others and the impact that the decisions, distractions can have on you and the greater, um, you know, your greater circles. So, 
look, I'm a, I'm a big advocate, and this year we're, we're you know, we're, we're banding together through the football environment, um, through AFL Victoria, to wear armbands and promote road safety because at the end of the day, um, we all have someone to, to drive safely for and, and the importance of, of obeying rules and, and, and maintaining concentration for every time that you're on the road um, because no family should have to go through the tragedy that my family did because it's, it's too important to, to arrive safely and, and enjoy love and enjoy having everyone safe. Yeah, absolutely. You know, particularly coming from a regional area, newspaper, yeah, aware of all the dangers on the road and the things that can happen. And that's why it's such an important thing to raise awareness about. And it's distracted driving is one of the major themes of this year's road safety round, which we'll see. I'm hearing clubs all across Victoria, netball and football, wearing armbands and supporting that road safety round, as well as on the AFL field as well. Yeah, they are. And, and it's about banding together because the more conversations, the more awareness people have. Yeah, like you said, everyone will be across Victoria will be wearing a blue armband uh, on their left arm to, to promote the safety round. But also it's just about raising awareness because, as I said before, tragedies happen all the time and if they can be avoided, it can save so much heartache for families and, and, and friends of those who, who lose loved ones or even get injured permanently. So, yeah, please, if you, if you do play sport um, on the weekends, whether it be football, netball or any sport across Victoria, on the, the blue armband and, and promote that awareness of, of AFL, you know, Victoria Road Safety Round because it's it's such an important part of the way that we live our lives um, and also can be, the, you know, for, for, for a small conversation with a mate or a family member to just make sure that they do concentrate and do arrive safely can, you know, prevent so much heartache for, for families and friends. Make a huge difference, yeah. And, and who does St. Kevin's have this weekend? Um, this weekend we've got University Blues. Melbourne University? Yes, yeah, right. And how are they going? You guys going to get up over them? Or? Uh, well, we actually got the top four. Played two teams in the top four in the next month. So um, there's a little bit of a gap between fourth and fifth. So if we pinch a couple of wins here, we'll probably solidify you know, a finals berth. But they're sitting second and they agonisingly better spot points in the last game that we played against them. So hmm. Yeah. Big clash coming up. And will you be playing up top or in the middle or whereabouts are you looking? I'll play forward, mate. I'm I'm gone to the days of chasing around the ball too much. Um, you know, I'll maybe get a, a hint uh, here and there in the midfield, but I'll let the younger lads run around and, and get knocked and get bruised and bumped, and then I'll distill the glory by kicking some snags. Fair enough. Looks good doing that. And I did want to ask you as well, one of the things um, the dogs were in the news for over the last couple of years was a – Pretty joyous-looking Mad Monday celebration seems to be the cause now. Whenever any footy players find uh, uh, on a Mad Monday, journalists seem to be trying to sniff around, get on top of milk crates, chairs, balconies across to get as many pictures as they can of um, of people having just having a good time at the end yeah. of the footy season. Could you possibly tell us about how that experience was in terms of you know the damage control after it and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, look, we. Um we're quite lucky that I don't think Mad Mondays, we, we weren't notorious for getting in trouble, but we were. We took the view that if media are trying to, um, you know, get some vision or get photos, that we have some senior players at least confront them and say, look, we're having a, uh, you know, a Mad Monday, having a couple of drinks. Disrespectfully, you can take a photo, but don't go prying and, and then leave after you've got enough. Because, again, you can imagine as the day progresses, things, you know, change shape quite considerably when you do start it. 10 a.m. But, oh, look, mate, we had a lot of fun. And now probably you talk about the elements of why you love playing footy at the highest level. You know, we call it Mad Week, Mad Monday, whatever you want to call it. It was, it's, 
it's the epitome of, of, of your playing year because that's when you get to let your hair down, have fun. But we did went, you know, we did go to some extreme measures to make sure that people from the outside world didn't, you know, peer in. We put newspaper up on windows, uh, made sure it was a lock in, and, and we had all the appropriate, um, you know, equipment inside to, to have some fun to, to make sure everyone was a bit sick. That we put a little bit of a not a hospital bay, but a but a sick bay in the corner. But mate, they were great. They were great days, great time. I think we had a um, you know a little bit of an initiation sort of. Um, thing where, where young players had to tell some stories, which was a great thing for them because it was, you know, it was welcome to the group, welcome to the the, the team that you're going to be a part of, hopefully, a lot longer. Yeah, some characters in that dogs team as well. Did the premiership celebrations? I'm not sure how much a part of it you were in terms of whether you, you know, taking a step back, etc. But back in 2016, was that Mad Monday month, or how long? How long did it go on for for you guys? Did you watch our season, 2017? <laughs> <laughs> Still went all the way through that, did it? There was no pre season camp. Was um, Bali, etc. Yeah, it was Bali. No, we um, it went for probably too long. You know, the boys had a, a very uh, nice break. We, uh, we, yeah, we ended up missing the finals the following year. So, talk about the uh, premiership hangover. Um, I think there's no true sentiments to the way that we approached 2017. Well, I'm not sure what the West Coast Eagles' excuse is uh, this time around <laughs> or the year before. The year before that, I, I think oh, yeah. they're probably st- well, still longest. a little bit dusty <laughs> yeah. since uh, what was the 2000? Yeah, 17? Uh, no, 18. Yeah. Maybe yeah, maybe they're just they're just having a mad Monday decade. Yeah. All right. Well, Mitch, thanks very much for joining the Tudor Avenue podcast. It's great to chat to you, and um, glad things are going well post footy. Hope it keeps on going, and hopefully you get up over those uh, university blues on the weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, lads. I appreciate your time, and I'm loving the work you're doing. <laughs>